Talent in the arts can make you crazy. Look at what it did for Van Gogh. Or it can give you great flexibility. Celia Cherasoli tells us about her creative life. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Celia Cherasoli, an Italian-American chef and teacher, museum curator, general supporter of the arts and producer of delicious food products. So happy to have you with us, Celia. Well, it's very wonderful to be here with you too, Liz. So you have had a a really interesting life, kind of interspersed with art and food. And I really feel that I understand the growing up in an Italian-American household because I'm half Sicilian and grew up in the Sicilian community in New Orleans. But why don't you describe a little bit of that to you, to everybody? (laughs) Well, a friend of my folks came to stay for a few days. We had a place in the country we called the farm. And after a few days, they said, you people, all you do is shop, cook, eat, and plan the next meal. (laughs) that, That kind of says it all. Our lives were just completely focused on food and family and the coming together of the family around food. I mean, that was just a given, you know, the food Mm -hmm. was just there. My cousins, I had cousins that lived in New Jersey and my grandmother lived just a block from us. My nonna growing, my Sicilian nonna grew, was about about a block from us. So they always came down from Jersey, came up from Jersey to visit us. And so they were always at my grandparents and we had so much extended family in the neighborhood outside of New York where I grew up that, um, we were always together. It was either somebody's birthday or anniversary or baptism or confirmation or first Holy communion or name day, or we found any excuse we could to come together and eat (laughs) pretty much (laughs) and spend time together. So I I think anybody who grew up in, in an Italian family in New York or Jersey or even New Orleans in those days knows what that is. Yes. Yes. We had in, in New Orleans, almost 100,000 Sicilians come wow, in a 30 year period. I know. I was thrilled when I realized, you know, we could be related. <laughs> <laughs> what part of Sicily does your family come from? So they came from Palermo. Oh, from Palermo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mine came from the East Coast in a little town called Ali Marina near, near between Messina and Taormina in that area. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my grandmother's name was Leche. Leche. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they like, came from the town of Leche maybe mm-hmm. three or 400 years ago. Right. Ah, and, okay. Um, and so, um, and, and we believe that they probably came as part of a, a Jewish pogrom that, really? uh, ah. that evicted all the Jews from really? Leche. 
And oh my goodness. Uh, Palermo yeah. had a fairly large ghetto. And yeah. so a lot of people came there and uh -huh. they took the name, you know, Giuseppe Di Lecce. Di Lecce, of course. Elizabeth yeah, said Di Lecce, yeah. you know, yeah. that kind uh -huh. of thing. And so that became their last name. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but, you know, with intermarriage over these several sure. hundred years, yeah. you know, many people became Catholic. And, of course. Um, and so some yeah. apparently remained Jewish, but some became Catholic. Interesting. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's I, fascinating. It is a fascinating mm -hmm. story. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it made a big influence on New Orleans because okay. that's a lot of people, especially New Orleans, there's probably about 250 to 300,000 people in those days, which right. is, you know, this is yeah. like a third of your population. Right. Right. Goes, you know, all of a sudden. Yeah. They say that outside of Palermo, New Orleans was the second largest city really? of Sicilian speakers in the world. Really? Yes. Yeah. See, that's that's that you said um, speaking Sicilian. I grew up when I grew up, my mother and my grandmother always spoke Sicilian, spoke the dialect to each other. And I just thought that was Italian. Well, when I as when as a student to Italy, I realized that was not Italian. <laughs> it's amazing how different that language is. And you know, they don't even really you go to Sicily now that you don't even hear it. And I said that the last time I was there to this young man, Giuseppe, who was our driver, and he said, Oh, we speak it at home. We just don't speak it out outside, you know. Yeah. And in yeah. schools they um they, in fact, it's a funny story. My mother went to Sicily for the first time. She was born in the States, but my four grandparents were all born in Italy. So my mother, of course, didn't even speak English until she went to school. Mine either. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, she went to Sicily for the first time as in her, she was around 40, maybe her late thirties, let's say. Uh -huh. And so she, they had a family gathering in her hometown and they, she was with all the relatives and she sat down next to this elderly woman who was an aunt or who knows somebody. And she started speaking to her in Sicilian and the woman started to cry. And my mother thought, she said, oh God, I've offended her. I said something wrong. I didn't. And the woman said to her, no, no, no. She said, my own children don't speak Sicilian anymore. She oh. said, and to hear this, to see this young American woman come and speaks to me in my language she yeah. said just it, she was so emotional so there is that change now that's happened there that they don't really speak the dialect it's a beautiful language it's sounding oh, yes sounding well language. and i don't even believe it's dialect i i think it's a separate language it's a separate it, it's very different from italian in many ways and it, it's yeah. got so much greek in it from when the oh, Greeks yeah. were there and it's there's true. arabic in it oh, yeah there, you know. well you can tell that with the food yes. i mean the sicilian food is not your spaghetti <laughs> spaghetti and meatballs as they say it isn't that at all i mean it's such a different cuisine i mean cinnamon and all this you know spices right. that are used Clothes. in sicilian yeah. exactly <laughs> that are used in sicilian baking and in sicilian cooking that it is very different from your neapolitan or your milanese food yes. you know so yeah. along with the language you have that that culinary difference as well right it, it, Exactly. It really is. You can understand that like at the time that they came to New Orleans, they were escaping 
basically the poverty that was caused by the unification and Garibaldi's activities. Mm -hmm. And they absolutely refused to consider themselves Italian. They (laughs) correct you and say, no, we're Sicilian. And so there's a lot of uh, identity with the island and feeling that they had been kind of hoodwinked by Garibaldi. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny too. My father, his family is from Abruzzo, which is, you know, near Rome Mm -hmm. and fabulous cooks and, but a very different culture. And he always would say, um, yes, I'm Italian. My wife, she's Sicilian. So he always made that, he always teased her and made that distinction, you know, and she was very proud of it. She wasn't oh, yeah. going to deny I'm that sure. at all. Yeah, I'm sure she was. Absolutely. Well, so, so tell me then, after you, you know, you were going to school and you're leaving home as you're, you know, becoming a young adult, did you ever feel tempted to go into food? Did you feel like, no, I need to go into art because that seems to also be one of your passions? How did you how did you make those decisions? Well, I guess growing up it, so surrounded by food, it never occurred to me that that would be a, a, a you know way to make a living. Yeah, that was yeah. just what you did every day. Yeah. Uh, so, and I was I was very. Um, interested in both art and music. So I decided that I would go to college and study art. So I did that. And in that, during that time, I went to Tyler School of Art in Philadelphia as part of Temple University. And they have, I think they still have the program. They have a year abroad and it's in Rome. And that was really the big thing that made my decision to go to Tyler was because I had this year in Rome. I had not been to Italy at that point. My folks, of course, had been, but I had not and was just dying to go. And so and, had um, you grown so, up speaking Italian? At no, home? and you know, this was the, this is something that upsets me to this day. The little bit of Italian that I know, I really learned that year that I was there and with maybe a little bit of subsequent study. I mean, I, I speak enough to get around, but I don't speak well. But um, I always said to my mother, why didn't you speak Italian to us? And she said, well, she said, you know, at the time we spoke Sicilian. And, you know, back in the 50s, that was like considered a dialect. It was almost looked down upon. And now she looked up at and it was looked down upon. So they didn't feel like, you know, teaching us that was really teaching us anything of value. That was just the way they thought. And I think they, my mom probably regretted that later on in life when she realized, but when we were young, they didn't. And um, actually when we were little, I mean, I must've been four or five, I guess. My grandfather's brother and sister came from Sicily and spent a year or two years with us. Uh, And (laughs) my mother said that after, and they didn't speak English at all. So, you know, there was no, there was just Sicilian spoke in the household, spoken in the household while they were there. And my mother said that after a while, I went to her and I said, you know, Tiana and Tio Leo, they're starting to speak English now. And my mother laughed because they weren't speaking English. I was just beginning to understand them. <laughs> and so here in a little five-year-old, I thought, boy, they're learning English. <laughs> so, well, well, did your mother and your father speak Italian to each other? They spoke Italian to each other, but of course my father had his own dialect like but they they understood and both of them knew enough italian that they when they wanted at the dinner table when they wanted to say something that they didn't want us to know 
that that with all of a sudden it went into Italian, yeah. but they didn't speak. They spoke English to, English each, other. to each other. Yeah, yeah. That was their. The Italian was the secret language to keep the kids out. <laughs> in, in <laughs> but my, we understood more than they thought we did. I, I bet you did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, my okay. father was the American. Uh, so my mother and father only spoke, spoke English. English. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the only time I heard Sicilian was when my mother and my grandmother and grandfather yeah. and all the right. and whatever yes. um, uh -huh. were together. So yeah. I didn't hear yeah. it every day. Every day. Yeah. I heard it pretty. And I had gotten to the point that if my mother and my grandmother were talking to each other and they would throw in English words, you know, they, because they just did. Yeah. Yeah. And it, they would, it would be just enough for me to under, help me to understand what they were talking about. Maybe not every word, but I'd guess which relative or who was doing what with, with whom or all this. You know, I get the gossip that way yeah. <laughs> as a child. Okay. So you're in Rome. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I got off. I, I tend to do that. I That's apologize. all right. Um, yeah. So in Rome, I just, again, fell in love with the city, fell in love even more with Italians and, and just had a spectacular year. So I came back and I was still interested in art. I, my senior year, when I came back, I um, worked at I did some internships in Philadelphia. I worked at the print club in Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Museum in their print department because at the time I was a printmaking major. And after that, um, that summer, I after I graduated, I were, had an internship at the Metropolitan in New York in their print department. And then I got a job working for Cornell Kappa who started the International Photography Museum in New York. And I was working for him during that time when he was setting up that museum. So it was really fascinating and he was quite a character. And um, so I was in the art business and I also, you know, was certified to teach. So after I got married right after, you know, a year after I graduated, I got married, moved back to Philadelphia with my husband and taught art for a while. And then he got a job teaching art at the college here in Charleston. He was a printmaker, still is, and still is an artist. And um, he... Um, I got this job in Charleston. So we moved down here and I had utter culture shock moving from New York to at the time. Now, Charleston is a completely different place 45 years now later now. But when I came and I went to the grocery store and at that time, we're talking 40 years ago here, 45 uh -huh. years ago, they had Ronzoni pasta in the gourmet section at $1.69 a pound. Now, think about that. That's 40 years ago. I was in panic. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. My parents came to visit with suitcases full of food and, <laughs> and you know, tortellini and all this stuff. I mean, it was just incredible what I had to do to get what I needed to live, you know. So um, anyway, long term, it goes on and on, but long story short, um, ended up getting divorced and now I'm a single mother and now I really have to get a job. And I did teach art for a while in a Montessori school down here. But uh, I wasn't, you know, all of a sudden my life was changing and I, I, I felt like I, I just didn't know what to do next. And I spoke with a wonderful woman who was a, a friend of a friend who did career counseling. And she just sat down and talked to me for a while. And after about an hour, she said, you know, every time you. You have frozen. Mm. Okay. You there? 
I'm there now. Yeah. You okay. I'm sorry. Did, did I freeze? Because I was talking too much, I think. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think that's what it is. Okay. But you froze when you were talking about um, you, you had this friend who was a career right. counselor. Yeah. And so she, after speaking with her for about an hour, she said to me, you know, every time you talk about food, you just, you light up, you get so excited. She said, did you ever think about making a living in food? And it was like, the lights went on. I mean, it, it, I just never thought about it before. And all of a sudden I thought, oh my God. And I did a little homework and found out that there was a school in New York called the New York Restaurant School. It had just opened. I was like maybe the fifth class that went through it at the time. And so I kind of decided to go back to New York and I took my daughter. We went back home. My parents were, of course, incredibly supportive. And, you know, I had an apartment in the Bronx to stay in and that was theirs. And yeah, it just all worked out. My daughter stayed with my mom up in the country and went to school up there. And and I came home on weekends and I went, did this class at the restaurant school and just kind of fell in love with the business. And um, and then eventually after I, I worked in a hotel up near the Catskills where my mom was living at the time. And um, I worked as in the kitchen for a while as chef and then a sous chef and then a chef. And then I ended up working as a banquet manager. So I kind of got a good flavor for the business, but for a number of personal reasons, I ended up coming back to Charleston. And um, when I came back here, I just, I got a job in a restaurant. I just started doing that. and. Um, eventually I had my own business. Uh, I was looking to open one of these to-go places because uh -huh. at the time that was kind of a new thing and there was nothing like that here, nothing. But it never quite worked out. And this restaurant came available for sale, this business. And you know how sometimes, you know, everything just aligns mm -hmm. and that's what happened. And it wasn't what I was looking for but it worked out perfectly. There was an apartment above the restaurant where my daughter and I could live and I could keep her close and keep uh -huh. an eye on her. Yes. And because I owned my own business, my schedule was flexible enough that if I had to do something with her at school or field trips, I, I had that flexibility. Mm -hmm. and that at the time was very, very important to me because I couldn't imagine having a job where my boss said, no, you can't go to your daughter's school play. You know, mm -hmm. that just wasn't going to happen. You right. Know, again, those family ties were so strong that that's my priority. That comes first, you know, yes. and everything else comes after that. But I was very fortunate that I had incredible friends and people here in Charleston who supported me and supported that restaurant. And it took off. We did it for 15 years until I just kind of got burned out. And that's when I went back to the art business and uh, through my connections at Mepkin Abbey, which is a Trappist monastery here in Charleston, I was, well, friends with all of the brothers. I just loved that place and often went up there and, and when I had the restaurant used to do, you know, anytime they had any kind of a special event, I would go up and do the cooking for them. And so I had a relationship with the community there. Yes. And um, during that time, the abbot of Mepkin was telling me about close friend he had in Rome, this artist, Ugo Tessurieri and his wife, Valeria. And um, I, I, you know, I, I wanted to visit them, but it never quite worked out. But at one time, it happened that Francis and I, the abbot, were in Rome at the same time. And so he took me to visit them. 
And it was like this world opened up. When I saw this man's work, I just couldn't believe it. And I, his studio was there in the Palazzo where they lived. And it was just, it was breathtaking for me. Mm. And I had just, at that point, had just closed my restaurant. So I was, you know, kind of at loose ends. And uh, again, once again in my life, all the pieces started to fall into place. Um, and it turned out, as we were looking at all this artwork, Ugo turns to me and says, you know, I'm giving all this to Francis and the monastery. I said, you're doing what? And then the curator brain clicked in. Uh, yes. And I said, well, um, have you written anything about your work? And he got very defensive. I later learned that he wanted to be a writer and it didn't work out. So it was kind of a sore spot for him. But um, he said, no, no, I didn't. I, I don't write. I'm a, I'm a painter. I'm not a writer. I don't know. Okay, okay. And I kind of let it go. And after another little while, I said, what if I sent you a tape recorder? Would you talk into it about your work? He goes, yeah, 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 fine. Okay, whatever. Well, anyway, the following year, I went to visit him again and spent, I don't know, a week or two with him photographing his work. And by that time, I had sent him the tape recorder and he was had already made like 13 cassette tapes talking about his work. Identif I told him to number the things and identify them that way. So it was great. I had all this documentation. I worked with him for about a week, taking pictures, getting to know him better. Turns out, of course, he was Sicilian, too. And his <laughs> wife is from Abruzzo. So oh we had, gosh. again, we had this oh, connection. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, the way that we I found out was the first time when I met him, he was showing us these paintings. And there was one of this little girl. It was It's one of his best paintings. I just love it. And he says, yes, I call that La Scunizza. Well, that's, you may know that word if you're Sicilian, meaning little street urchin. Well, I burst out laughing. And he said, <laughs> what do you know about Scunizza? And I said, I am Scunizza when I was growing up, you know. So this, we we just bonded instantly over that. And um, I really, you know, st started connecting with him. So again, I go back the following year, start working with him, getting to know him, getting to know Valeria. It was just a magical time for me. And um, after about a week, <laughs> It's the most unbelievable thing. After about a week, he has a stroke and he dies <gasps> oh while I'm there. God. I mean, not while I'm there. He was in the hospital, but right. he was taken to the hospital and he died. And then Father Francis had to come over for the funeral. It was just, that's a whole nother story, wow. probably over another bottle of wine sometimes. Right, right. But that it just was, you know. So after that, then uh, I, I went to Italy a number of times because we had to, catalog and pack up the collection to be brought to Mepkin because when you take any artwork out of Sicily you, you it has to all be documented because they're so afraid you're going to take out something some, kind of some national treasure or yes. something mm -hmm. right yeah. so um uh there were numerous trips where I went finished cataloging what I could and then I went when they packed everything up I helped them pack everything up label every box what was in it it was an enormous job, but very exciting for me. And then when everything finally came to Mepkin, um, then it was a matter of unpacking it and really getting the catalog set up and, and right. all of that. Um, unfortunately now, and now that was, I don't know, 
that was around 2000, the early, because Ugo died in 2000. So it was right at, around that time. Mm -hmm. So in 2002, we had an amazing exhibition here in Charleston. We were the opening exhibition of the new city gallery here in Charleston and just did a, it was a huge thing. Francis, Francis was an incredible musician, organist, and he had, there was a concert and the oh. exhibition. And this is when, this is when I met Gail because Gail came to, um, to record all this. And, it, and Francis was on religion and ethics, which of course she was a part of then. Right. So that's how I met her was during this time. We're talking so, about Gail Fendley. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Knows. Yes, <laughs> we are. And um, it was so wonderful to meet her. I just, I, it was just great. So um, anyway, that went on for a while. And unfortunately, a few years later, Father Francis passed away of, from cancer, which was a terrible, terrible loss. He was only 57 years old and he was mm -hmm. an amazing, he was just an amazing human being. I can't, uh, that, you know, he was incredible and a very, very dear friend. And so again, life changes. And after a while, Mepkin felt they didn't really couldn't take care of this collection anymore. And in fact, now the major part of the collection is at Mount Angel Monastery, the abbot there, Jeremy Driscoll, was a very good friend of Father Francis. So it, I think it's very fortunate that um, if Mepkin couldn't keep the collection, that they were able to give it to them to take care of. Now, there's still tons of works on paper and some of the smaller, less significant paintings. And actually, I have that now. Ugo's dream was to have his work out into the world. So the mission is to sell everything and it's it's difficult. And right now, since I'm doing other things, it's kind of waiting waiting for the right moment to <laughs> start that. Yeah. But you saw the website. I mean, the art's incredible. Oh, yes. really and the, his story is amazing. Yes. You know? yeah. So after I couldn't do that at Mepkin anymore, I ended up back in the food business, <laughs> <laughs> which is when I did the Celia's of Charleston and made some of our products. I have now sold that part of my business, trying to retire, but you know, I'll never retire. It's too much fun. And so does the <laughs> new company still make the products? Yes, they do. It's called Celia's of Charleston. There's a website. I think yes. I showed it to you. Um, yeah. So that's still, the products are still available there. Um, you can get in touch with the new owner and she can help you out with that. Um, so yeah, so I just kind of keep going back and forth. So now I've, you know, my focus now really needs to start going back to the art again and, uh, you know, seeing what I'm going to do with that. That's the next big project. But really, I, I think that the movement from art, it's really going from one art form to another. It is. It's not it is. exactly this is food and this is art as though yeah. food isn't art. Oh, I really it is. think it is. Yeah. Of course it is. And it's not just the art of creatively making and preparing the food. It's also, um, you know, the art of presenting it. My mother always said people eat first with their eyes and she's right. I mean, how many times do we pick a bottle of wine because we like the label? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm very guilty of that. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I, my brain is a visual brain and, but even, you know, to me, the, uh, the making of the art and the making of the food is a very similar, for me personally, is a very similar experience. I'm not, I went to art school. I'm, I wouldn't consider myself an artist, but I do dabble a little for my own enjoyment. I paint a little and, you know, I enjoyed that creative process. And um, to me, that process of 
preparing the food or preparing your um, supplies to start to paint. I mean, that's all very much the same mental the same process activity for me yeah. process thank you mm -hmm. yeah it's the same process so as I said I just kind of keep flipping back and forth between the two but they're always together in my brain <laughs> so yeah. yeah so you know I'm, I've worked on this I decided of course I needed like all cooks want to do a cookbook and I have actually written one now it's just a, the process of trying to get it published which is not an easy Thing. If you're famous, it's easy, but if you're not, <laughs> it's a little harder. But you know, I my I really wrote it because I wanted the family recipes and the restaurant recipes. I wanted them there for my children, my grandchildren, my relatives. I just wanted it written out. And so uh -huh. it's not just a cookbook. It's actually um, I guess you'd have to call it a culinary memoir because I tell the stories of the family and the food, and then I give the recipes. So, you know, it, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. So have you gone to University of South Carolina Press? Uh, no, I haven't. Maybe that's a good one to try. You know, they, they publish quite a bit about food. Ah, and, I didn't uh, know that. Well, thank you so much for that. Okay, I will definitely look into that. I will. Yeah, I, again, you know, I... <laughs> I tend to be one of those people who's not terribly focused. And so I tend to go from project to project. So the cookbook's been on hold for a little while. And I have friends saying, have you done anything about the cookbook yet? You know, they keep reminding me. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm busy doing art this week. <laughs> well, you know, my my cookbook. So I've written five yes. books, but this is my first cookbook because I never measured it. Is Cecilia the Creole? I saw that. I got so excited. I have to have it. It's wonderful that's so a great thing that's published by lsu press okay and, um, all right and, and so i i'm pretty familiar with university presses, presses. that emphasize food and oh, university of south carolina is one of them and well, since thank you so much for letting Charleston, me know that yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. that's a, it's a natural yeah well thank you i will definitely look into that now see now you're getting me back into cookbook mode <laughs> It's okay. It keeps life interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, mine is written exactly for the reason that yours was. I saw my children and my grandchildren <laughs> not have the same connection. Right. That I felt. Exactly. exactly. And so of course, they, they have a different experience in their lives. So of course, they don't have the same direct experience that you and right. I had. Of course. Of but, course. But I also couldn't find first person accounts of growing up in the Sicilian community in New Orleans. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, it's not the same to read some historian's take on what right. the influence mm -hmm. of the Sicilians was in New Orleans. Right. I'm looking for first person accounts where you're right. talking about the little day-to-day -day things, you know? Exactly. So I decided to write this book because I could write it. And my right. brother, my brother is five years younger than I am, and he doesn't remember it. Isn't that something? I yeah. remember him at those parties with yeah. <laughs> 100,000 relatives and all yeah, that. Yeah, but that's because also because you have a food brain. You know, you have a food brain. So those things stay with you. But I remember he was there. But, you know, when you're three years old and yeah, then you're, you know, you're in your 60s yeah. or 70s, you, you don't you remember, remember anymore. Mm -hmm. And and so he doesn't remember. And so even for him, I feel like it's it's partly for you, too, you know, right. because you don't remember. 
And, right. and so that's really what motivated me to mm-hmm. write me it. Too. Mm-hmm. And I, I read on one of your websites or something, and you're talking about taking fried brain sandwiches to school. Oh, yeah, to school. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, never, we never took fried brain sandwiches to school, but we certainly ate fried brains for breakfast. Yeah, and, right. Uh, but we have them for dinner, but same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you have? Oh, uh, ham and cheese. Oh, I have peanut butter. Oh, I have fried brains. I mean, it was just the <laughs> most ridiculous thing when you think about it now, but it, it's what it was. You know? Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> of course, New Orleans is a place where people went fishing and crabbing right. and so all, that. all that fresh, great stuff. And so we had that. And then my great grandfather and then his sons, all my great uncles, my grandmother's brothers, they all were butchers. And ah, my food. uncle was too. I know. Yeah. And the awful goes bad uh, first. Yeah. And so they'd call up my mother and my mother would pull some kind of fish out of the freezer, uh-huh. so could, you know, make some little, yeah. gesture <laughs> of, you yeah. know, returning yeah. the favor. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, we had, you know, all the awful and we had kidneys and lungs and oh, yeah, we did uh, too. all we did of that, too. all yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny because I always laugh now when they started all this farm to table stuff. I'm like, who are you kidding? I mean, we that's how we lived. Right. And we lived in a suburb of Manhattan. We did not live on a farm. You right. know, we, my parents had one later in life, but we did not live on a farm. But my grandmother went out in the yard and picked the uh, chicoria, the dandelion leaves mm-hmm. and, the, you know, she and bring it in and throw it in the salad. And, you know, that was just what you did. Yes. And I mean, not exactly farm to table, but my father was a physician and all of his patients in the Bronx had gardens. So we always had tomatoes. We always had zucchini in the summer. All of that, that just came because that's what you did. Yes. You know, yes, fig trees. Yes. They all had fig trees. Of I course. Mean, you had to have a you know, fig tree. So when they started this, oh, fresh from the farm, I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and it's wonderful. I mean, I'm glad everybody's doing that now. But <laughs> I was like, we, we've done that before. You know, that's right. been done. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's not newly invented. It is yes. not. But, but it is a good thing that people it is are a good thing. aware totally. of that. Aware yes. of that. Yes. <laughs> Celia, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This has just been the most delightful conversation. Well, thank you. I've had so much fun and I hope we I hope we get to do it again, maybe with a bottle of wine next time. Maybe in New Orleans or in New Orleans. That would be yes. wonderful. We'll try to do that. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Okay. Now we just left a little. <laughs> That was so much fun. Really, that was so much fun. I'm serious. Next time, let's pour a glass of wine and do it again. Okay, (laughs) sounds good. (laughs) And I want to know more. I really am interested to know more about your Sicilian background um, and growing up in, in, in New Orleans with that and what that was like and kind of compare it to how I grew up and see what similarities there are. I'm really anxious to read your book. That's just going to be great. And and I'm serious about the University of South Carolina. I, I am. I'm definitely going to look into that. Definitely going. That's a great idea. It never occurred to me to do that. Um, and you know, I had gone really because people. Uh, I'm afraid I'm not much of a. Um, what's the word I want? I, I'm not. I don't push very much. Mm-hmm. I, if if I get resistance, I go okay. That's all right. I'll do something else. You know. So I'm not one of these who's going to 
if one publisher says no, and then the next one says no, I'm like, eh, you know, <laughs> whatever, right. you right. know, so, <laughs> so anyway, but and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit, I have an amazing cookbook collection. I mean, is that you have cookbooks that what and also Les Dames. I, I was I just quit recently because I'm not here enough to attend the meetings and stuff. But I was a member of Les Dames here. Are you a member in and in New, New Orleans? Orleans? Yeah, yeah. I love that organization. Yes, I and do too. It just I, my partner has property in Costa Rica, so I'm there. This year I was not. I wasn't there at all this year because he sold our house. And so we're in the process of oh, building wow. a new house. So there was not any, you know, he's living in a little farmhouse on one of the properties he has. So it was just a difficult year. And so I didn't go. And because of what he's trying to get done there, he didn't come here. So, I mean, he was here for a few weeks, but not long. But I am going to be going in January. And since I go back and forth to Costa Rica, during the year, it was very difficult for me to fully participate in the events and everything that was going on with right. um, Les Dames. And they had a um, they had a sustaining membership for a while where you didn't have to participate. You just had to pay more money. Uh-huh. So I did that for a little bit. And then I thought, you know what? I can't afford this anymore. Right. So right. I, I, I just stopped, I kind of stopped doing it, but I still get their emails and I still love the organization. Yeah, it's I really, really do too. Really great. And so um, we in have- fact, no, I was going to say we have the an agreement, you know, our research center. We have a research center that's part of the the mm-hmm. the museum. And uh they the the DOMS voted, the Na- international organization mm-hmm. voted yeah. that everyone who wrote a book or they wrote something would send us a copy so oh, that we great. have so there's a DOMS collection. Oh, that's fantastic. And and a lot of DOMS send us their books because it doesn't just have to be cookbooks. We have books about nutrition, books about right, you know, eating while you're traveling, yeah. books about farms and uh, foraging oh, and just all kinds so of- So you books. have a wonderful research library there mm-hmm. and you do mm-hmm. take cookbooks. We do. We absolutely Because I do. keep thinking my, my daughter, my daughter cooks a little and she likes to eat, but she has no interest in my collection. And I also, not only was I, am I a terrible- cookbook aholic my mother was and so she had an amazing collection which I now have and there are some duplicates because if I liked a book I bought it for her if she liked the book she bought it for me mm-hmm. so there are some duplicates which I've been kind of giving out to cousins and stuff uh-huh. but um I do ha- I have a big collection I don't never counted them but they're hundreds and hundreds of cookbooks and I'm looking I'm thinking what am I going to do with these so if that's something you'll take I'll put it in my will when I that's, that's, close that's, shop <laughs> that's 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 perfect we would love some that some of them are old that's great that's great and we also have books in multiple multiple languages as well as braille so oh my god that's fantastic so you know if you if you have a book that you bought in italy that's actually in italian oh i have a number of those yeah Yeah, i have a number of those don't don't hesitate you know think that those okay i'm going to change my will they're all going to you (laughs) i'll tell my daughter okay okay (laughs) because you know even that nobody wants to take old books anymore even the library kind of is like they'll take them but you know it's not you i want you know these cookbooks were purchased and read with so much love that not only mine, but my mother's, that the collection means something to those books right. mean something to me. Yes. And at one point I had to go buy more bookshelves in my 
one of my closest friends said to me, why are you buying more bookshelves? Just stop buying books. <laughs> I can't. That's a disease. I mean, I could have a worse disease, but, right, but exactly. I have stopped recently. I have really tried to stop recently, yes. but occasionally like with your book, I mean, I was like, oh, that's one I have to have, you know? So I try now to really just get a book if it's got some personal, you know, connection. Right. right. But, yeah. but it is, you know, it was so great to talk to you. Nice to, to talk you. to you too. And I Absolutely. love Gail. When you see her, give her a big hug from me. I will. She's just a wonderful lady. I'm, she I is. think, of her, you know, it's funny. I think for often, and we, we only met that one time, but I don't know. I just felt there was some connection with her and she's um, like that. Yeah. She's just a great lady. Yes, she's a great absolutely. lady. Well, yes. I'm glad that she connected us and I'm glad that she and I reconnected and I look forward to talking to you again soon and I will keep in touch and send you the eyeglass link. And <laughs> Okay. okay. That sounds okay. wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.